When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to After the Jag Corps, navigating your career progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the Jag Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Nick Matthews. Nick is an attorney with Oric Harrington and Sutcliffe here in Washington, D.C. They have a global presence. And Nick's going to talk about the upcoming Veterans Career Legal Fair. So, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Nick, you are an Army JAG veteran, as we were talking here before we went on the air. So give us a little bit about your history with the Army JAG Corps and then moving over to Oric. Yeah, sure. I had a uh, actually a friend in, in law school who was interested in the JAG Corps, and I had always had an interest in serving. So I was really following along about a couple months behind uh, his process. And, uh, you know, at the time, it was it was in the late 90s before uh, 9-11. I thought it was an interesting way that I could still be an attorney, again, finishing up law school then and uh, and to find a way to serve. And so was was finally able to take my oath in March of uh, 1999 got uh, integrated into my unit, the uh, the 4th JAG, the 4th Legal Support Organization, as they were known then in, uh, in the Bronx, New York. You know, did all this while I was uh, doing a federal clerkship. Uh, after that, went to, um, went to a private law firm and continued to serve for about nine years, including a, uh, a deployment uh, during my, I guess, eight and a half years uh, in the reserves, a deployment while I was working uh, in-house legal at Goldman Sachs uh, in 2005. So having a, a six-month TTAD mission based out of Arafshan, Kuwait. So was, that was my military experience. And then, it, you know, at some point, my um, my eight years was up and I had a decision to make as to whether, you know, I was uh, going to continue to uh, serve in in, uh, in the reserves and considered it, did it for a little while, became very challenging between balancing family, balancing work, figured that um, I had kind of checked the box there. It served like I had wanted to serve uh, and ended up getting out after almost nine years. You told me you were with Oric ever since. So what are you doing at Oric? I guess this is the question. How did you get there? I mean, obviously you got hired, but talk about your marketability, your journey in, back into Oric, into private practice. For me, I was, look, I was always in the reserves. So I was always in private practice, unlike others who make the transition after being in the JAG Corps for, you know, for five years or 20 years or 30 years. So for me, the road was always really private practice. And I was um, a, a reservist other than my deployment for six months in, in 2005. So Oric is... The main sponsor, if you will, not the only sponsor, but they're the ones that put the money up, I guess, to put on this Veterans Career Legal Fair. And as I was talking before the show, I first heard about it a couple of years ago. Mike Lucan, who is with Walmart, Mike has served on a panel and he has told me about the Veterans Career Legal Fair. But what is the history of this VCLF and what was the motivation to start doing this? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, a great story. I've been involved in our veterans uh, affinity group here at Oric, which is quite active. And frankly, it was not our idea. It was uh, our, my good friend and, and uh, colleague and partner, Lorraine McGowan, who heads a lot of our diversity initiatives. And uh, it was her brainchild where she realized and kind of took a look uh, out there and saw that there was no career fair that was focused towards veterans. And we thought about it a little bit, looked around and said, you know what, you're, you're right, Lorraine, there's absolutely nothing. And so she started the ball rolling and getting this Veterans Legal Career Fair going. And, and one thing that was actually very important to us as we were taking a look at it was that people who are left behind aren't necessarily the veterans sometimes, it's their spouses as well. And so the, the Veterans Legal Career Fair is aimed not only for veterans who have been infantry officers, artillery officers, et cetera, who, who may have found their way into the legal practice afterwards, also JAGs who are transitioning straight from the JAG Corps, but also their spouses, men and women who oftentimes get you know, pulled into different states and have uh, issues with either passing the bar, finding a new job every two, three, four, five years, who oftentimes are, are left behind professionally because of those demands. And so we really wanted to, to focus on the entire veteran family community, if you will, and give a platform where veterans and their spouses are able to speak to private companies, speak to law firms, and then also speak to governmental organizations and agencies and to see if there are, are mutual paths to get hired and to enter practice there. Oftentimes, there are folks who've been in the JAG Corps for quite a while who have a very unique skill set. Other times, there's, you know, for example, a tax lawyer who's been in private practice for a while, but who also was a veteran and an infantry officer, you know, 15 years earlier, for example. So its scope is quite broad. I think, Tom, at its height pre-COVID, we started this about eight years ago or so. Pre-COVID, I think we we're up to almost 60 employers and a little over 100 candidates. We would love to see the candidate community increase. And I think we could support, you know, several hundred folks because of the number of employers who we have who are interested in the unique skill sets uh, and backgrounds that, that our veterans have. Before we forget, two things that we need to get out. When is this year's VCLF being held? This year's VCLF is going to be held on May 18th and 19th. On the 18th, we have a networking event. And on the 19th, we have a keynote address, a panel discussion led by Joe Moreno, who's a, a political commentator, who some of you may might be familiar with. And then also the resume exchange and actual interviewing there at the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C. And I should point out that it is worthwhile if you're able to do it and you're not in the D.C. area, if you're able to come up and, and close enough for a day trip or otherwise able to be in D.C., it's, it's uh, really worth your while to come to the event. And the other thing that we need to put out is, and I pulled it up here so in case you don't have it in front of you, the website to register is veteranslegalcareerfair.com. And you'll see on there a spot where it says registration. I wanted to get that information out first because I don't want to get through this podcast and forget. And at my age, you tend to forget more than you remember as things go along. So back to the fair itself, Nick, when you say you've had up towards 60 employers, what is sort of the diversity or the scope of the employers that come to these fairs? Yeah, absolutely. You see private law firms, ORIC, other law firms that are either mid-sized law firms or large law firms. You see governmental agencies and organizations, including Central Intelligence Agency, Department of Homeland Security. They've both participated in the past. And you see private corporations. We've had folks like Microsoft and Juniper Networks come participate in the fair, actually interview. And I think, you know, across all three types, if you will, we have had hires and very successful hires who come back and act as speakers at the fair. 
so it's been incredibly satisfying to see that. Yeah, I was going to ask you that actually, Nick, was the feedback you got in the success stories. So this is not just more in a dog and pony show. This has actually led to successful career transitions, it sounds like. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And again, we're, you know, Oric is the founder of the event and we're lead sponsor with some other very, very outstanding organizations and firms that you could see there on our website. But in doing this, the most satisfying part has been getting that feedback, understanding that there has been a hire and been a successful hire, folks at junior levels as well as senior levels. And, you know, I should point out that we also offer, at least Oric does on our website and otherwise, resume writing and review for candidates. Sometimes it's difficult, especially if you've been in the military for a while and you have a, a very military resume to have that translate to some private employers. And we're used to seeing that, right? And we're used to, to, to dealing with it. It's not a, a lack of intelligence or a lack of effort. It's you know what, what you're accustomed to. So we oftentimes, folks in our veterans forum here at Oric offer our time and, and whatever meager talents we have to help folks with those resumes to help help them translate into the especially into the private sector where they're going to be outside of the government. And in addition, you know, we we've also offered uh, mock interviews to help folks who may not have interviewed in a long time, uh, regardless of their level or their age or experience, and getting some questions that we would expect private sector and other individuals to to ask them. And so these are all things that we, that we offer to assist a transition especially for those who are currently in the military. So looking at the events that are listed on the webpage, so it kicks off the evening of May 18th with a networking cocktail reception. So let's say you are someone who's looking to leave the military. This is going to be the year you're you're going to take off the uniform and you decide to come to this. What can you expect both at that networking cocktail reception and the next day? Can you kind of give me a flavor of the experience that we can anticipate? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the cocktail hour is like mo- most cocktail hours. It's a it's a fun time. But in addition to being a fun time, w- what I think has been very useful there at the practical level is getting to know some of the players. And, and what I mean by that is I can think of two folks last year that at least I put under my wing, if you will, got to know ex- what they were trying to accomplish through the fair, where they wanted to work, and making introductions that evening that were very informal. One of them that evening, and, and then the next day, I think I made three or four introductions to the types of firms or entities that they were interested in. For example, one young woman was a JAG, and she was interested in transitioning as a junior associate to law firms. And so that evening, I made some uh, at least one introduction to, to law firms, and I believe on the next day, walked her around to a few other law firms said, you know, we've spoken with Catherine, or I'm making up a name here, it might make sense for you to speak to Catherine as well, whether or not she had a designated um, and organized interview with them. So, and, you know, the cocktail hour also works for, for non-firms as well, right? Because there are corporations there and others. So it's a, it's an informal way to get to know the candidates, what they're interested in. And I'm not, you know, uniquely positioned there. There are others who are doing the same thing and trying to get to know who's there and where they might have a great fit so we can maximize the potential of the next day and make the necessary introductions. It's one thing to see some folks' experience on paper, and it's another thing to meet them in person, especially in an informal setting that sets the tone for the next day. So should people come with a copy of a generic resume to be able to provide more information to people, or or is it just morally meet and greet at this point? Well, at that point, it's meet and greet, and your, your materials, transcripts, and your resumes would have been submitted before the, the registration deadline. But on that evening, no, you're, we're going to have a name. Let us know you're showing up. There'll be a name tag there, and folks will be very forthcoming in trying to get to know you and try to position you informally in a way that enables you to succeed. So you have the networking uh, reception the night before, and it ends at 8 o'clock. 
And then just over 12 hours later, people are coming back for registration and networking breakfast. More the same, maybe for those who couldn't make it for the night before, or those who want to further expand some initial discussions, perhaps? That's right, Tom. So for a lot of folks with their work schedules and other family obligations, it's difficult for them to come to the cocktail hour. So as helpful as that might be to get the ball rolling, really the, the substantive events occur the next day. Oric and the other organizers uh, make sure that each candidate has a designated number of actual interviews with firms that you're lined up with that who you might be interested in. But there are also informal ways to get to know folks during the breakfast and during the uh, the keynote address, as well as you know participating in the back and forth with the panel discussion that again is going to be led by uh, Joe Moreno this year. And in addition to that, the you know that there's a lunch and opportunities to walk around in between interviews being given by firms and others. And so there, there are many opportunities to get to know folks. And I should point out on your webpage, it does have opportunities for, uh, the, for example, candidate preparation program. And I registered a few weeks ago and I know I received an email saying, okay, pick who you're interested in, if you will. And I, I was actually in the process of studying for a state bar, if you can believe that, Nick, and I didn't, haven't done it yet. So I need to get on that. But as you said, you know, there's not too many opportunities for judge advocates to have a networking event just for them. I've participated in a couple networking and, you know, it seems to be that the common thing they're looking for is program management or specialties. And and when you tell them they're a JAG, you basically get the, oh yeah, we also have lawyers, but they're not involved in the recruiting or the hiring process for lawyers. And looking back over the past several of these that you've had, what has been the range of the crowd, the range of the judge advocates out there that have attended or other spouses who have attended? You know, do you have a do you have a general number that you've seen, high or low? As far as the number of participants, I think at some point we went over, again, pre-COVID numbers that we're actually pretty close to now, over 100. We would, again, love to get that into the hundreds and, and the event, both the, the venue as well as the interest from the uh, the employer's really warrants it and almost demands it at this point. As far as the types of candidates, we've seen folks who simply want to change the governmental agency where they are, where where they currently are. We've seen others who are, for example, judge advocates and non-judge advocates who have an interest in environmental issues and just graduated law school. And so they want to enter practice as an environmental lawyer and had some experience in the military. Cybersecurity specialists, we've had cybersecurity specialists in the military who were non-JAGs who then went to law school, who want to do cyber law, which is absolutely booming both at our firm and at other places. And so you really have a very broad spectrum of candidates with a variety of interests, a variety of backgrounds. And we try to line that up with either private or public sector employers who are interested, again, in these unique qualities that we've seen that military folks have. As you said, you're not the only sponsor. You know, one of the things that I think judge advocates struggle with is that they have a different experience than the typical lawyer that has gone straight from law school into a setting or maybe has gone through a revolving door of private practice and maybe corporate law. And all of a sudden we're coming in with these, I don't want to say novel backgrounds, but they are completely different than what you typically experience in the straight civilian setting. What has been the motivation for these other firms? I'm looking mostly at firms and non-governmental firms that have signed on to participate in this fair. Are they starting to see the value of what Judge Avison may be able to bring to the table? I think absolutely, yes. That, that is the feedback that we've received from the employers. 
adaptability, recognition of chain of command, and when to elevate matters and to be part of a team, exceptional work ethic, positive attitude. There are difficult moments in whatever area you're practicing in, and uh, there's grunt work like there is elsewhere. We found that there's far less of that with folks who have a military background. And attention to detail. I mean, all of these qualities really shine through. Obviously, there are differences in practicing. And again, this this event isn't just geared towards JAGs, but if you've been a JAG for six, seven, eight years, you were put uh, into a position where you are running a trial and you are on your feet almost immediately. Whereas in the private sector, you might not get to a trial until you're almost a partner, at least to do um, many things that are meaningful. However, you've been working on your research and writing skills. And so there, there is a little bit of a give and take there. It's not a perfect match if you're in litigation for example. However, litigation is only half the world. There are also transactional practices, right? If you've been a JAG and you had to focus on X, Y, and Z types of issues that don't involve you know, uh, typical litigation, all of a sudden you have uh, the rest of the world. And even if you haven't, by the way, if you want to come in as a junior person and you demonstrate these qualities of you know, adaptability, work ethic, positive attitude, et cetera, you, we're, we're finding folks wanting to take a chance on you. But there's also this whole side of the transactional practice where maybe some of your skills as a JAG, for example, are not as transferable, but the qualities that you have are desirable by the law firms in private practice. You mentioned the Veterans Affinity Group within your diversity outreach. That has seemed to become a bigger part of diversity in the, I know in the legal hiring practices, I've dealt with a company that looks at veterans and their outreach. How big of a movement is this within the law setting in the civilian sector? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I remember in 2007 and eight with uh, with another veteran, an Army JAG who was based out of London at my firm, we were just scribbling names and emailing to each other. Hey, how about that guy? Doesn't he have a military background? So we threw everything into a, an Excel spreadsheet. And now, you know, at our firm, it's one of the questions we ask when someone joins the firm, either as a lateral hire, as a summer associate, we assign them a mentor, we give them that support. And we let them know what the organization's doing. We do a, a, a great deal of pro bono on veterans issues and in support of veterans. We sponsor or assist veterans organizations like uh, the Overwatch Project, uh, preventing veteran suicide uh, through an organization named Forge. We represent former service members in upgrade appeals. And we also put on events, including this Veterans Legal Career Fair, but other events as well, where we had uh, Secretary Jay Johnson come in and talk about the 10th anniversary of, of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So we try to stay very active in the community. And this year, we're considering uh, certain events with the local bar association here in New York to put on an event for the benefit of veterans, educating veterans on certain legislative changes. So the, the Veterans Forum here at ORIC has had a life of its own, is one of our, I think, important forum groups and active groups. And we've seen the same not only in the legal community, but also in the investment banking and other communities where private sector companies, regular tech companies or other companies, as well as large investment banks have meaningful, and by meaningful, I mean, you know, fora that have actual events that have an organized, you know, mail list group and that uh, have meaningful benefit for, uh, for veterans, both inside the firm and as far as outreach goes outside of the firm. We've seen that uh, all across the spectrum and not just with respect to law firms. Great. And this just in, Nick, Caitlin came back to me. So since we're going to be airing this on April 1st, registration closes the week of April 20th. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in the Oric Career Legal Fair, don't wait, sign up today. Even if you don't come, you can always follow up with an email telling that your schedule has changed and you'll be unable to attend. But week of 420 is the, the most definite thing that I can give them right now as far as the closing date. 
So Nick, turning away from the fair a little bit and looking specifically at your experience, having served as a reservist, having served a couple tours, having served in civilian law firms, and knowing the lifestyle and the work focus and the careers that JAGs have spent on active duty particularly, what advice, if any, do you have as far as what they should be doing when they're starting that transition process? You already touched upon getting resume reviews, which Oric offers. Have you seen any other examples or missteps or best practices that you could pass along just from where you sit in New York? Yeah, absolutely. It really, it depends on the candidate. And again, we're, we're catering to folks who may have been already in private practice and folks who are you know, going from JAG to another agency or who are currently in a different agency and outside of the JAG Corps or the military. One thing that, that we see that we try to help out with, both by giving mock interviews and by reviewing resumes, is to get rid of the acronyms and try to make the resume and the person be more relatable, especially, and I can speak to the private sector, if you're going to be honing your skills and focusing on the private sector, the person who's interviewing you might not be and probably doesn't have a military background. That person is going to be confused by acronyms, is going to be confused by sir or ma'am, will not be confused by you leaning forward and by you having a, a can-do attitude but might be confused by certain things on on your resume that don't resonate with them. And so addressing some of those points and thinking as a civilian, I think are very helpful because there are very many things that JAGs and others do that are relatable to the private sector. So th those are the types of things that we work on on the resume writing and the mock interviewing skills. As far as you know, how to focus your search outside of the Veterans Legal Career Fair, I would say taking advantage of the opportunity to to research people. If there's a particular firm that you're interested in, find out who's on the veterans forum there. Look at bios. And if there's someone who says that they have a veteran background, rarely will they not speak to you has been my experience. Just email them. If they can't get back to you for a week, they can't get back to you a week. I usually have a, a 48 hour, hour rule myself that I will get back to every single person who emails me within 48 hours. And I will arrange a call. That call might not happen overnight, but I will speak to them. If they're an appropriate candidate and there's an appropriate position within Oric, I will seek that out and try to make that connection. And oftentimes just giving general advice of, you know, what, what do you think my next step should be? And that's unique to each person once you take a look at their resume and their background. Another loaded question for you, Nick, and I know I'm throwing you curveballs that we didn't talk about before going on the air here. But in my opinion, there's two types of JAGs that are leaving the service. Those who want to get into private practice and get in with a firm and those who don't. And, you know, many people like me who graduated law school in 93 was at the height of the John Grisham novels, which was always, you know, portraying firms as greedy, money-making, cutthroat entities. And I think there's some trepidation of JAGs going into firms because they sort of see it as a, as a solo adventure. But I got to imagine that you guys want to see people successful because when everybody's successful the whole firm is successful. And so what kind of reception and ramp up could a person expect if they were to apply for a firm job, for example, based on what you've seen? Yeah, I think one thing, especially for JAGs, and if, if we're just focusing on JAGs here, if you've been a JAG for, and again, the longer you're out, your expectations might be a bit different. But if you've been out five, six years, and you're interested in going into a private firm, you're not going to show up as, as a fifth or sixth or seventh year, essentially on the verge of partnership. You're going to start and get maybe credit for a year or two. 
and going as an associate expected to know very little of the subject matter of what you're going to be doing, whether it's transactional or in litigation, frankly, despite the fact that you may have outstanding litigation skills, you're not typically for a larger firm, I would say, going to be in the courtroom that often. You're gonna have to get used to the writing, get used to the research. If you're gonna go into the transactional side, getting used to the documents, the document review, the structuring, the drafting, which are skills that as a JAG, you may not have had. And frankly, you're not being hired for. Right? You're not being hired for the sub, for many of the substantive skills that you have. You're getting hired for a lot of the qualities that you have. And so I think it's really being realistic if we're talking about the JAG transition into private practice. Yes, you are exceptionally desirable in many ways, but you're not going to get year, in the most cases, you're not going to get year for year credit for the service and the time that you've put in as a JAG because many of your substantive skills are not transferable compared to that person who's been working a great many hours for you know, a half a decade or more doing intellectual property litigation, for example, or doing commercial mortgage-backed securities transactions, right? You're simply not going to know the rules. You're simply not going to know the law or have the same research and writing skills. And again, that's not an intelligence issue and that's not an effort issue. That's a, a training issue. That said, we've seen JAGs come in at those levels and have an exceptional experience, at least here uh, at, at Oric, where they are ascending, where they are on the verge, and in one case of becoming a partner, and who are ex- exceptionally well valued, who've made that transition uh, in a realistic way. I think that's a valid point, Nick. I mean, it's no different than if a civilian was coming into the JAG Corps, that they should expect to come in as a lieutenant colonel or as a colonel. They may be really smart, really good at what they do, but you know, I think that's an important thing that you pointed out is there's been others who have been at the bottom of that pyramid working for years and to sort of give that same credit, if you will, to someone coming in from completely on the outside without paying some sort of dues. I I think we would be just as chagrined if that happened in our culture as if that people on the outside would feel. So I think that's a, a very important point to make as we go out and we need to look in the mirror of what our expectations should be, and they need to be realistic. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I'd I'd also point out that the event, as we've said a couple of times now, isn't geared just towards JAGs. I'd say about, and I'd love to know the percentage, and maybe we'll we'll kind of get some data to to back this up, but I think greater than 50% of the folks who participate in the fair are not JAGs. And in fact, had, you know, and again, I'm thinking of a, a former colleague of mine who was a surface warfare officer in the Navy, then went to law school and is a uh, tax lawyer and a very prominent tax lawyer at that. It's a second career for him. He's eligible for the Veterans Legal Career Fair. But at the same time, he's a tax lawyer, full stop, and pre-law school was enlisted in the Navy. There are other folks who are spouses who are in one agency and are looking to go to, for example, the Department of Homeland Security. I don't know if they're interviewing this year yet or if they've signed up. That's an example of someone we've seen in the past because they want to make a lateral move within the government. So really, the, the Veterans Legal Career Fair is intended to capture all of that. But to your point earlier on, you know, movement from a JAG with years of experience, yes, I, I agree with your analogy there. And it's not just paying dues and working your way from the ground up. It's it's true substantive knowledge, right? I mean, if if we know the the risk retention rules for commercial mortgage-backed securities, if there's a, an associate that's been dealing with them for years and you show up, you can't be a 50-year associate. And that's just kind of one example there. You know, and the other point that I, I always, and I think it's a fear that I have too, is those things that you're mentioning, for example, transactional and SEC and tax, those are things that we don't traditionally practice in the military. And we look at that as sort of, that we're not going to be able to break in, though we've switched between different focus areas within the services. 
So that is something that I think that is empowering when coming to this fair will be is hearing people say, yeah, I think you have what it takes to learn this new area. Let's let's chat more. Nick, what am I missing? What did you think you were going to be talking about that I haven't asked you regarding this fair? I, I think you've hit it all. You know, it was important for us to, it, it is important for us at Oric as well as the other organizers of the event to get the word out. And that's first and foremost. I mean, we, we have this event. We are going to put it on one way or the other, and it's been exceptionally successful, I think, beyond what we had expected initially. And it would be great to share the wealth of that with these employers who we have who are participating, who are eager to hire this community. So it would be great to be able to have additional candidates out there and to link them up with some of these employers. It's also important to tell the veteran community not only that this event exists, but that their qualities, many of which are adaptable to different areas of law, are desirable to the community. And there are many articles on that, recent ones as well. And there's been a great focus on hiring folks from the veteran community because of these qualities. So those, those were important things for us to, to get out there today, Tom, and hopefully we did. Well, Nick, I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm in the process of applying for jobs. I don't know if I'll have a job or not by the time I get there, but I'm excited at this opportunity. I'm, I'm very thankful that Oric and other sponsors do this. And I haven't been able to make it the past couple of years. And I have made it a priority this year. So thank you guys for doing this. And I look forward to meeting you and seeing everybody in person. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on here and giving uh, additional value and, and recognition to the event. We're looking forward to seeing you there, Tom. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.